Hey Royal Family, I'm back and today we are going to talk about something a little different from my regular focus. It's something that I have a passion for and recently discovered this semester. With virtual learning currently going on, my teacher has been extremely flexible and allowed us to do a virtual final project. So today for my human rights and water resource management class, I want to explore the topics of environmental justice. Where did it start? Why is it important? And currently, what advances are being made to progress the movement? This is definitely going to be an interesting conversation. And in celebration of this belated Earth Day, I hope that you'll listen in and engage with me. Let's get into it. I think it is important to note that environmental justice has always been a part of people of color. We just may not have realized. Until we covered this in class, I really did not even understand how. I would take for granted the care and consideration that my grandma had with the environment as just her thing. I should have realized that the dedication she felt to the earth Her ability to properly implement sustainable environmental practices was her activism being put in action. From her taking me outside when I was little, documenting the types of birds that would come around each year and what time, making sure that I always had some kind of plant I was taking care of, whether it was a potted tomato plant, a greenhouse plant, or the beautiful orchids we attempted to grow a few years back, the earth has always been a part of her. She was raised in Liberia on a farm. The passion for beauty and life of her environment was never something I looked at as activism before. It was just her thing. But it's so much more than that. For generations, people of color have lived, worked, and eaten off the land. For the most part, how my grandmother and mother grew up, whenever they felt sick, They took some type of herbal treatment along with eating healthy roots and minerals that were provided by the earth. I really came to the realization when my TA Diamond said to the class, okay, how many of your grandparents could tell if it was raining if their knees started to hurt? And I laughed about this, but it was so true. People of color have a deep and spiritual connection to the earth, and it is a beautiful thing to be explored and analyzed. Although there is not necessarily an officially documented moment of the beginning of the environmental justice movement, many like to turn their attention to Warren County. One impact that the civil rights movement had on the African-American population is it helped to train and spawn other movements that pertain to the life and health of the African-American community in many different facets. This is exactly the case when we look at Warren County in North Carolina. Warren County was a small community in North Carolina where its population was generally made up of members of the African-American community or low-income people. The North Carolina government decided to make Warren County, listen to this y'all, a dumping site for hazardous waste that was toxic soil infected with PCB contaminants. Although this community was not suited to be able to handle these kinds of toxic deposits, this site was still chosen. So the question is, why? It is documented that North Carolina considered other sites. However, they still chose to use Warren County, a primarily black and poor community. Fortunately though, the residents of this county refused to just take this decision. They took to the streets to peacefully protest 
this order of discrimination. I am talking about clergymen, professors, members of the NAACP, the working class men, and everybody in between. I saw elderly folks, men and women, and children come together in order to bring attention to this issue. There were many arrests during this protest, and unfortunately, the government still chose to dump upon their site. And it was just crazy crazy to me to think about because this is their home. This is the place where they pay taxes and go to school and things of that nature. And it felt like they had little to no control over what contaminants could or could not be dumped into their community. But this movement, much like the March on Selma, was a defiant act of bravery and was seen across the world. This encouraged many communities of color to hold their government accountable for how they handled the environment in which they live in. So we're going to delve deep into that topic, and I have a few cases that I would like to bring up. These are going to be awesome, guys. Thanks for sticking with me. I told you this was going to be interesting, right? In order to begin to have this conversation on environmental justice, it is important to understand what environmental racism is. One definition that I have found that I am fond of is the placement of low-income or minority communities in the proximity of environmentally hazardous or degraded environments such as toxic waste, pollution, and urban decay. The first case I wanted to look at happened in Detroit, Michigan in 1993. Now, I know this was a little while ago, but I specifically chose this case study because I wanted to paint a picture that we might not be as far as we think we are. If you look at Flint, Michigan today, you see that the prevalence of environmental racism within that community Flint has been without water for, I think it's like without clean drinkable water for like five years now. And you take into account the children that are developing diseases because of lead poisoning and things of that nature, things that the government could step in and fix if they really wanted to. And I just wanted to show you all that this is nothing new. This is how the government has chosen to use institutionalized racism to hurt communities of color and low-income communities. So let's get back to this case study. In 1993, Michigan wanted to implement an industrial, an industrial railroad system to ship goods like cars and other consumer products. Before the idea of this railroad came along, the delivery of goods to this part of Michigan was mainly handled by trucks. Um, Although these were a nuisance and did contribute a lot to noise pollution and other emissions, it did not cause the great disruption to the lives of everyday people that this railroad system was destined to. The railroad system raised several concerns surrounding overall public health. During this time period, Detroit was already becoming an industrialized city, and for that reason, the air quality was poor. Many people and children who lived there developed aggressive asthma at a higher percentage than the ordinary population, and this led to other health problems. The demographics of this population were largely people who came from low income and members of minority communities. Unfortunately, this railroad system was still built and stands today despite the warnings from healthcare professionals 
of the likelihood of seeing an increase in diseases like cancer, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, and the reduced function of vital organs. So right now, I am just talking about the health impact that this decision had on the group of people. We haven't even began to address the economic damage it placed on the backs of these people in these communities. They were forced to leave their households and businesses behind. One pattern I have seen is that sometimes the governments like to promote a new system or thing or policy and act like it is for the betterment of all people. Okay, we see this in places where perhaps water tends to be scarce and the government needs to make more drastic measures to ensure that the larger population is also receiving the water they need to have everyday functions and things of that nature. Um, in many places, like in India, for example, they build dams to provide larger pockets of water that have a more sustainable and daily flow um, to ensure that the people in the city or where it's highly populated are getting their water that they need every day. But there are people on the riverbanks that live there and have farmed there for generations and generations upon generations. All they know is that land. And when you force them to move, you're not just moving a people from here to a little further down on the land, you're you're jeopardizing their whole livelihood and the pattern they have implemented in their lives, how they decide to grow crops, the techniques they use. If they if you shift them from one land to another and that land quality is different, they might not be able to harvest the same type of crops that brought them money before. So everything that you have done has completely changed the course of their lives and they're just forced to be there and reconstruct their lives all over again without the help of the government really and that's just unfair no one's life is more important than the other um i personally believe that water sh that clean drinkable water should be a human right but i also feel like there is a humane way to go about things just like in this case here yes it's awesome that they wanted to bring more industrial products into the city, but they could have done it in a way that would have been less damaging to the people of that community, the people who live and work in that community, who make that community. And I think now at any time, like at a time like this, we are really seeing the impact that structural racism has on the society in America. It's not sustainable. Racism is going to be um, something that really hinders the growth of America moving forward because when we try to think about life as a trickle-down mentality instead of a bubble-up and we say, hey, let's make all these breaks for these large corporations and the people who are wor the working class people will just adjust, you are really just just obliterating the backbone of the economy which is the working class man and we see that he, during this time period more than ever and going back to this situation these people were removed from their homes in their livelihood and they were just forced to start over so I think it's important that we take into account not only when someone decides they want to make a policy change but also the impact that it has on the people of the community. 
The next case study that I want to look at comes out of Louisiana. In 1959, the Dow Chemical Company moved to Louisiana and began to produce a colorless, cancerous gas that was used in the production of various plastic products. Fast forward to today, the amount of companies that are currently in Louisiana and who contribute to chemical poisoning of the land and the rivers and the air that run through the black community has skyrocketed. Honestly, between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, there are reported to be over 150 plants and refineries that produce hazardous waste and air pollution in these cities. This has led to the nicknaming of this area, Cancer Alley. And over the years, the residents cynically have renamed it Death Alley due to the amount of family members and friends that they are losing to cancer. How incredibly sad. I mean, the fact that due to these companies, they are creating such heartbreak. I mean, you just, you can't, you can't even put a price on the lives that they are costing for these people because of greed. The African-American population who live, work, and contribute to this city and that are supposed to be protected by the government of this city, they have been there working off the land and and present since the emancipation of 1863. Their forefathers made a space for them through their hard work and dedication by working off the land. And it is sad to say, but unfortunately not surprising, that an area that is heavily populated by black farmers, large companies and corporations decided to park right next door in order to produce the chemicals and hazardous waste that they know aren't really affecting their community. Instead, they're affecting people of color and poor people. And unfortunately, that is something they are okay with. They're okay knowing that they are getting rich off the backs of these people that live and work in the factory. And regardless of what's going on in their life, as long as the money is coming in, they're contributing to the system and they're okay with that because there aren't really health concerns that they're dealing with. Um, Today, and it's crazy that today, the government of Louisiana is still offering companies like this who refuse to practice safe practices in producing goods or whatever, they're still offering them the ability to um, have tax breaks to come to their um, state. And no, I'm not against the fact that companies come to a state. I'm against the fact that businesses come and they bring irreparable damage to communities of color and they refuse to practice safe safe practices out of because of out of pocket costs and they're thinking about the short term instead of the long term and realizing that they're costing a lot more money as their workers might not be able to work they might have to take a lot more sick days but they don't care as long as they get right, get rich right now and i just think that is just like one of the main focus of it focuses of environmental justice it's the fact that corporations want to put people over profit 
and they do so continuously. But look at what's happening today. I mean, really look at it. All the workers who have lost their lives due to corporations not valuing them, due to corporations not giving them the protective need gear they need. It's so important to see that people are our most valuable resource on this earth and that we need to take care of them. So what does that mean? That means we need to take care of our earth by making sure that our land, our sea, our air is clear and pristine. We all deserve to live in a place that provides a safe surrounding for us. We should not be getting cancer and other various diseases because we're choosing to drink the water that is provided to us by our local government. I mean, I can speak for myself. Um, I live in a city that we're not too sure about the water. You know, we hear about things like PCBs being in the water all the time. And for this reason, a lot of times, actually, we don't even drink water. We continually drink bottled water because we're unsure of what's being placed in our water. That is not something that should be happening. And it's just an, a, a dangerous cycle because you have people purchasing large products like bottled water and things of that nature. And we're just building up with lots and lots of pollution as we're producing a lot of these plastics. Um, but we don't feel safe drinking our water. And why is that? Because a lot of times government will shortcut things, shortcut um, certain um regulations that companies should abide by or turn a blind eye because they bring a lot of money to the state at the sacrifice of the people and people need to understand that people are the most important resource i said it before i'll say it again let me say it one more time people are the most important resource you never sell yourself short when you do what's best in the hearts of and for your workers and for the people that are making every day possible. As we see now, we need each other more than ever. And that means looking after one another, looking after our environment. Are we in a safe space? Are we in a clean place? Because we can't move forward. We can't make money. We can't do anything else if the people aren't there. You know, there's this quote and it says, you know, one day people will realize they can't eat money. You can't. So that's why it's so important to take care of your earth. Take care of everything that you've been given dominion over. And people who are in charge, politicians, need to be paying attention to this situation. And although it's unfortunate, it really shows you that systemic racism is unsustainable in America. There is no way that America can progress while they continue to implement things that contribute to the advancement of systemic racism. It breaks down the economy. It breaks down social structures. I mean, it even breaks into the healthcare realm. You're not able to sustain it. I mean, I mean, look at places like New York and things of that nature where people of minority communities were not given the adequate protection they need. Now New York has like the highest population of cases almost in the world. So it just goes to show you that taking shortcuts in places ultimately lead to downfalls in other areas as you progress through um, life. Mm -hmm.
hit you all with a lot of information today, so I thank you for taking the time to listen to my project. I just want to clarify, I was mentioning the aftermath we now face with COVID-19. Today, the U.S. is forced to see how vital essential workers are to our society, and many of them are people of color. It just goes to show that there is never a downside to investing in people to making sure that the people who are taking care of our society are also well taken care of. This just goes to the fact that everyone should have the right to reside in an environment where the government is making businesses and corporations abide by regulations to ensure they are not producing harmful contaminants into the communities in which they reside. The government should be open and honest with the community and get their input when considering bringing another corporation into the city. We need to start putting pressure on our political figures to make sure they are acting with the intention to bring a brighter and healthier future to the population they serve. Until next time, queens and kings, let's build our queendom.